You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Well, please help me wave at the person seated beside you and tell them welcome to church this morning. Everyone worshiping with us online, we're excited you are here, that you're tuned in. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. We love you. Um, yes, and please do not... So I've, I've heard gist. I mean, while we, I, I remember during the lockdown, we used to um, stream some of the services or like uh, pre-record some of the Sunday services. So some of the guys would gather, I, usually at my house and all, <laughs> and then I used to hear different gist of how people are streaming service and they are frying plantain and eggs, some people are under their duvet. Men and brethren watching at home, we implore you by the message of God that you please put aside distraction, okay? Uh, now isn't the time to go into the kitchen. Let's sit with the word. Let's sit with the word and um, just be focused. Awesome. I think I've done all my housekeeping. Yeah. Banter room. Yes, 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 yes. How many people streamed or uh, well watched Banter Room yesterday? The episode was so good. We had Inia Basileya share her unashamed story with us, and it was beautiful. A story of restoration, a story where for anyone who's given up, anyone who's had a nasty or negative experience, that story is a story of hope, that God can turn around a negative situation. God can bring out a beautiful testimony out of a trial or a tribulation. So I implore you, please, 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 Go check it out on YouTube at LifePoint NG. You will see it there, still available to, uh, for viewing. All right, so last week, Sunday, we started a teaching series tagged um, Living and Loving, well, Love DNA. And in the morning service, I established three thoughts, three big thoughts, I mean, to summarize the entire message. And the first is that God has not created us for isolation, but for connection. So if you're doing life alone, you're not fulfilling scripture because God has not created you for isolation. If you're deliberately trying to isolate, I mean like the pandemic tried to get us all to just be in our own world and our own space, um, you need to come out of it. And we, add, we, we recognize that there are various reasons why that may have happened. It might be you had a, a negative experience in life, it might be other people's experiences that have sort of then put you in that, in that space where you feel, look, the opposite gender, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Even your own gender, you don't want to have anything to do with them. But yeah. So we're created for connection, not isolation. The second thing is that people's experiences cannot be your source of revelation. That was another thing we established last week. I'm doing this quick recap for the benefit of those who are in church because I'm building on that. So... Get in the word and go with God because people's experiences cannot be your source of revelation. Uh, I love one of the things that Daniel and Tolu said, um, Instagram, lifestyle, social media, gospel, you know, is what a lot of people ha are using as their watchword for their relationships and their marriages. So get in the word and go with God. Now, deep commitment to oneness, trust, and vulnerability is required for a successful marriage. And I dare say for any successful, vital relationship. So whether it be sibling relationships, whether it be parents, 
parental relationships and all. Some of us seated in the room or even watching online, we're not uh, in a great place with our parents. We're not in a great place with our siblings. Okay. Today we continue the message, and we, have, we had an absolutely amazing time at the evening service. So just in case you're here this morning and you have a friend that you know needs to be a part of this teaching series, in addition to sending them the SoundCloud link, you can invite them to come by for the 5 o'clock service. So we had people just talk through, um, just talk through their understanding of love. I mean, we had different definitions, uh, and of course, prevailing definition within our generation, actually. So love is a choice, love is an entitlement. We sort of got into the whole, my money is my money, your money is our money conversation. And we're drilling down um, further this evening. So you want to invite a friend to come by to church at 5 o'clock. All right, so this morning we continue, and today's message is tagged, Rooted in Love. Please, can we say that together? Rooted in Love, Rooted in Love. All right, um, just a quick explanation. So, when I say the word roots, what comes to mind? A tree, right? Yeah, a tree. Now, can you see the roots of a tree? While the tree is growing, is it possible to see the roots? No. Yes? Some, someone said yes. You need to tell us what kind of tree that is. Is it the one in your village? Planted by some special set of old women. Naturally, well, normally, you shouldn't see the roots of a tree, ideally. Um, because it's supposed to grow inwards and then the tree itself grows outward, the fruits grow outward. So you see the product or the evidence of growth, you know, and the hard work that the roots do in sustaining um, and ensuring that that tree is stable and is solid. Now let me move into construction a bit because when we talk about roots, we're talking about foundation, right? We can almost say that we're referring to foundation. So when we talk about love, when we talk about vital relationships, interpersonal relationships, just in case someone is here and, like, and they feel like, look, I'm not in that phase of life where I even want to get into any romantic relationship. That's fine. This message cuts across. This message is for interpersonal relationships. It's not just romantic relationships or marriage. So I took the liberty to look for the definition of the word foundation, not because I don't know what it means, but I was curious to see how, I mean, what different dictionaries have defined it. And I have selected about two or three that I really like. So the first one says, it's the load, the lowest load-bearing part of a building, typically below ground level. The lowest load-bearing part of a building, typically below ground level. Another um, definition says, in engineering, a foundation is the element of a structure which connects it to the ground, transferring loads from the structure to the ground. Um, another definition says, it's the basis or groundwork of anything, an underlying basis or principle. But let me stick with the first one, which says the load-bearing part of a building. So the foundation is what supports a building, right? And for the um, architects and the developers, construction, those in the construction industry, even in engineering, you will agree that um, this building that we're in presently cannot support another structure on top of it, right? Yeah? 
even if it's block walk. Right now it's a tent, but if we put up a block walk, well, you may not know because you don't know what's underneath. However, those who were part of the construction would say to you that you cannot put another floor on this particular building. Why? Because the foundation that was done, the casting that was done, was done for just a simple structure like this. When we talk about relationships, interpersonal relationships, when we talk about marriage, what types of foundation are we building? And that's what this Rooted in Love is speaking to this morning. The foundation that you build determines the quality of the structure. The foundation that exists will determine the outputs and the benefits that you would enjoy from a relationship or a marriage. So Jesus would give us an example of two individuals in scripture in Matthew chapter 7 from verse 24 to 27, and I'll read the um, NIV translation. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So two men, the wise builder and the foolish builder. This is a story that a lot of us are very familiar with, right? The wise man built, in fact, if you have kids like Pastor Tolu and I, you probably know the song because there's a Sunday school song that goes with it. Don't worry, I will not sing it. However, the wise man built his house with a solid foundation on the rock. But the foolish man built his house on what? Sand. Sand. So in verse 25, we see the effects of the types of foundation that had been laid. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house that was built on the rock. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 27, the rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. That's the house that the foundation was built on sand. Now, the interesting thing is the same uh, elements the same set of issues, the same set of trials that affected the house that was built on the rock was the same one that affected the house that was built on sand. So it wasn't a function of, oh, because this one looks sturdier, you know, this foundation looks more solid, so let's give it a whole lot more issues. It was pretty much the same set of challenges. So from lack of communication to money issues, to intimacy issues, and I'm talking about marriage or a romantic relationship now if you're, if you're dating. To what, what other types of issues do we deal with in, in a dating relationship or in marriage, yeah? Sometimes family drama, ex external or extended family drama. What else? Money, yeah, spoken about money. What else? Jackpot. <laughs> this jackpot must always find a way to feature in every message. Yes, yeah, so do, are we are we or we are not jackwine? And it's, it's a real issue, apparently. I mean, in my own house, it was a bit of an issue because I am proudly Nigerian, patriotic to the core. And I said, the Lord has not given me a word that we are leaving this country. And my husband said, you must be out of your mind. Like, what's going on here? We need to plan and arrange. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. You know, that aside. <laughs> That aside, but don't worry, maybe, I don't know whether he's convincing me right now or, you know, let's, let's just leave the matter, let's leave that matter. That's not the message for today. But anyway, um, so we see these two sets of men. 
Now, what typically affects our capacity to be able to build solid foundations in our interpersonal relationships or in a marriage slash a dating relationship? I'm going to run through some very quickly. One is the wrong reasons for starting the relationship or marriage. So sometimes it is pressure from family. I want a grandchild. Do and marry your friend. Didn't you see Labake? I was at Labake's wedding. I was like, all of you went to Christland Primary School together. What are you waiting for? What's, when, is, when are we doing your own? I've gone for all your friends' weddings. All your cousins are married. What are you waiting for? So sometimes this pressure is actually very real from family members, the people closest to us. Sometimes it is self-imposed pressure. We are the ones putting ourselves under pressure because we've seen how our friends are getting married and you know, you're just tired of being bridesmaid, 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 bride. God, when, God, when. And so the next nincompoop that comes your way, in your mind you excuse a lot of the red flags that you see just because let's shall do and marry. When we marry, we'll be correcting the issues. Amen? Okay. Sometimes it's comparison to others, you know. Sometimes it's actually that you're very lonely. You are just really lonely, and you think the solution to your loneliness is to hook up with someone and get married. Sometimes it's really just that you want to change your status. You two want to be respectable or respected, like they don't respect single people. You know, I've heard things growing up about your ability to not, um, so I was in the banking industry for, for a bit, and sometimes it's almost made to seem, not in the banking industry now, but just in the corporate world in general, that you, you seem to be sidelined if you were, were unable to demonstrate responsibility um, at a certain age, you know, by the number of, well, the husband or the wife you're married to, the number of children. In fact, for the women, it's more. It's more pronounced than men. Because we see a lot of single men, 40s, high-flying careers, you know. But for a woman, it's almost as though you're stigmatized. They look at you like, I'm sure she's very arrogant. They've not met you. They've not interacted with you. But because you're not married and you're a high-flyer, you already, I mean, they've already labeled you. You are very arrogant. You're proud. And then God help you have a fantastic car and you are making a lot of money. In fact, you own your own house. Wahala. So you're already labeled. Threats to building a solid foundation, sometimes it's ignorance and assumption. We don't know enough. We're very ignorant about, you know, the demands of what we have gotten ourselves into, and we assume. We assume a lot. Because he said he loves me, automatically means that his head is okay and he should know what to do. He should know that he should call me. He should know that we should communicate. He should know that he should buy me gifts. He should know. You know, we make a lot of assumptions because even we don't know. So the question is, how are you preparing for those who are desirous of getting married? What are you doing to prepare? What books are you reading? Who are you listening to? 
or you are listening to just the blogs and the, and I'm not saying there isn't good stuff on social media, just in case someone is here and you're wondering why do I keep going on and on about social media. But are you reading the word? Last week we said one of our assignments for the week was to study the book of Genesis, just the beginning part, and to just get into the word and understand. Let's go back to the basics. You know, our world we've misconstrued and, you know, we've misunderstood the concept of love completely. So how about we go back to the one who is love personified, the one who is the founder and the originator of the institution of marriage, so that he can give us sense concerning the matter. Sometimes it is a lack of personal responsibility or self-awareness. Who are you? I asked a question last week. Can you marry you in your current state? Can you marry yourself? If you are very honest and your answer is no, then why do you want to, to carry you as you are and put yourself on someone else? So what do you need to do to cost correct? What do you need to do to be quickly begin to fix yourself from where you are to the person that you want to be, the person that God intends for you to be? Sometimes it's laziness and lack of commitment. Very quickly, I'll invite Daniel, where's Daniel, to come up stage. He's going to be assisting me um, in the second part of this message. We've established these things as threats that affect a solid foundation for marriage and for a relationship, okay? Now, I want to go on the flip side to agreements. Remember, we started from foundation, to be able to build a solid foundation, there are blocks, yeah? To construct a foundation, you need the blocks. You need the cement, you need certain ingredients. I'm not a construction person, but I figure that's, those are the things that they use. There's sand, there's water, there's gravel, there's cement, yeah? So, the building blocks for a solid foundation, we want to talk about some of them this morning. So, at the heart of conflicts and bad relationships is disagreement. Now, if you meet a couple, and even if it's your parents, maybe they're divorced, they're no longer together, or your friends, you know people who have gone through a bad marriage. If you ask them, I don't think they would ever tell you that, oh, we just woke up and I looked at him. He looked at me, come, yeah, we're together today. <laughs> I looked at him, he looked at me. I said, I don't love you anymore. He said, I don't love you anymore. And that's it we decided to get divorced. It never happens that way. It starts with little things. It starts with conflict, it starts with disagreements, it starts with unresolved issues. It starts with, you know, compatibility issues sometimes. You got in and then you realize that, um, I actually cannot change this person. Because remember, assumption, you had come in with the mindset of, eh, I know that he has these issues, or I know that she has these issues. Um, this one I can live with, this one I can live with, this one I can't live with, but I will change her. I will work on her, I will ensure that she... We can't... <clears throat> Let me not jump ahead of myself. I'll come back to that part of the message. But let's start with the very first agreement. Scripture says in Amos 3.3, Can two walk together? Except what? Except they agree. Can two walk together? Except they agree. Scripture also says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. So there is unity 
there is agreement, there is connection, there is commitment, and then those two become an indomitable force. But they cannot work together. They cannot successfully dwell together. They cannot successfully date, except they agree. One of the agreements, the first agreement I would like us to do, so you're gonna just help me hold the bag. The first agreement that we will talk about this morning is the agreement to build the relationship or the marriage. Now, this is also for people who are married already. To build the relationship or the marriage on God's word. So this box will represent God's word for the purpose of this. I was going to use my Bible. I realized that I'm going to need my Bible. So let's just use this big box. This is my biggest box here. So this is God's word. We are committing that in our relationship, we're committing that in our marriage, our foundation will be built on God's word, not other people's experiences. Our foundation will be built on what God, the author and the originator of the institution of marriage has said, and not on our feelings or our emotions or our thoughts or our experiences. While that is very critical, is this, no matter what happens to you, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what will happen to you, whether you're in your marriage or you're in a relationship, you will change. Stuff will happen that will shake your faith. Stuff will happen that will shake you. Stuff will happen that will make you look at, look at the person that you have married and ask yourself, did I make a right decision? Just because you are seeing an aspect of them that maybe you hadn't seen before or you weren't familiar with while you guys were dating. But guess what will not change? The word. The word of God is unbiased to whatever issues we're dealing with. The word of God is an unbiased arbiter in relational issues. It panders to no one's preference because the word is truth. So it is not about how you feel that determines what the word will say or how the word will position. No. God's word is true. God's word has been, will be, will forever be. And we need to align with the word. We are the ones in our changing seasons and in our changing faces, in our relationships and in our marriage, we need to always go back to what the word says. Last week we spoke about, uh, we read a bit from Genesis 2, the story of Adam and how God created the animals, then created Eve, and what was Eve's responsibility? She was supposed to be a helper. And I explained that the um, Hebrew translation actually means that that helper is in front of you know, it's not subservient. It means that this person is like me and has been created for a purpose to complement me and not to be subservient to me. That is what the word says. So every other interpretation, every other um, explanation, whether it be our feelings, our emotions that has led us to behave in a certain way, needs to be subjected and brought back to the word. So, Proverbs 4.18 says, let me read the latter part of it. 
It says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline, that's 22. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So you've got to keep the word at the center. You've got to make the word your focus. Now, I know that nurture and nature sometimes affects, you know, our background, causes disagreements. So, for example, my husband and I, I grew up in a nuclear family. That is mother, father, and four children. We say the grace before we eat. We sit at a table to have dinner and breakfast sometimes when my father is around. But usually, we do dining table and stuff. My husband, on the other hand, is the love child between a, a, a father who has a family and a mother who has a family. Do you understand? So he grew up living with cousins and different people, um, got exposed you know, to the streets quite early in life which was good, paid off, because he was a hustler. And so he started making money early. However, when it came to the dynamics of conflict resolution, you know, <laughs> my husband said this thing shortly after we got married. He was sharing it with some of our friends who came to visit. He said, you know one of the things that attracted me to her, aside from the fact that, yeah, I liked her, she didn't even know that I liked her, you know, when I saw her, because I didn't know him, but he knew me for quite a bit before I formally was introduced to him. But he said, he came to my house one day, and he saw, that's my parents' house, and he saw us eating at the dining table. And I was like, oh, that's what this thing is for. Like, yeah. So that's what they use dining table for. Like, it's just a place where people dump keys, car keys, and, and, and paper, newspapers, and stuff because he's never had that experience of sitting at table to eat. So for him, he was attracted to that part of my life, and he wanted in, you know. But of course, that, those background differences came with their challenges. Uh, guys, I kid you not, they came with their challenges. Fortunately, my husband was willing to learn, and he was humble. There's like six years difference between both of us. He was humble enough to be tutored. Sometimes I was impatient, and I'm being honest. I'm going to speak more from my perspective this month. Sometimes I was really impatient, because the things that came naturally to me did not come naturally to him. And my expectation was he should know what to do. But a lot of times, the Holy Spirit has to remind me that, but he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. The first baby my husband ever carried was his child. He's never carried a baby before. In fact, to carry his baby, we, <laughs> it was a drama. Because he believed that he was going to drop the baby, that the baby was too fragile. So you are coming with assumptions, you are coming with your mind made up, and you expect that, look, it must happen because this is how I know it to always work. There will be conflicts. Because somebody is already set in their ways. Here you are also set in your ways. And when you both come together, with your set selves, concrete, what will happen when there's a collision? People get hurt in the process. So follow me. The agreement, first agreement, is that we will build the marriage on God's word. Now, the second agreement is that 
We will leave the past behind. The second agreement is that we will leave the past behind. Now, you see, it's interesting that actually you chose a black box for this. It wasn't deliberate, apparently. I just realized it's black. You see this box, eh? Your hurts, your negative, I brought my baby's balls. Your negative experiences, yeah? The guy that broke your heart, that made you resent the, you know, the, the, the clan called men, or the tribe of humans called men, that made you begin to say men are scum. That guy, package him and put him inside his box. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Put him all, very, and same goes for the guys too. That yellow girl with long legs, the person knows who my, yellow girl with long legs that looked at you and said you were too short for comfort and said you were not good enough for her. You, could, you cannot afford to maintain her skin tone. I beg, put her here, inside this box. Your abuse, for anyone here who's been abused, and abuse is in different forms. Sexual abuse, you've been in a toxic relationship, you've been physically abused and assaulted. And you know, for some people here, it's not even just maybe the person you were dating. You've been abused by your parents. You've been abused by your father, or a guy who's been abused by their mom and they have either physically assaulted or abused you or verbally abused you, so much so that you're currently dealing with a lot of insecurity with the opposite gender, a lot of low self-esteem issues. It's got to go into this box. Remember you're building on the word. And having interacted with the word, you would have found the promises that God has given you, what the word says about you, what the word says about your identity. So you are building based on knowledge. Remember one of the threats to a solid foundation is ignorance and assumption. In fact, ignorance, uh, is it the Hebrew or the Greek translation now? Is darkness. It's, it also means, it's in that family of, of the word darkness. You know, so when, when, when uh, scriptures will speak about, you know, the people have seen a great light, or darkness covers the earth, gross darkness the people. Sometimes that darkness can also be interpreted to mean ignorance. Because when light comes, knowledge comes. Scripture says the entrance of God's word gives light. It illuminates your life. So when you get into the word and you are building your marriage or your relationship on the word, you are in encountering light. You are engaging with light. As such, whatever it is that people have said about you, whatever it is people have done to you, whatever it is you have done to yourself or with yourself, it is all in your past. You put it in here and you box it up. And it stays in there. So whether it is that, oh, you've lived a very wayward life and you don't think that you deserve a good man, or you don't think that you deserve a good woman because of the kind of lifestyle you have lived in the past. Put it all in the box. Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 
old things are passed away. All things have become new. Paul will say, forgetting the things that are behind. What does he do? Presses forward and reaches for the things that are ahead. That is what you do with this box called the past. Okay? So, avoid bringing your previous hurts. Avoid bringing your previous negative experiences into current relationships. Your past hurts, your past experiences should not determine your current um, benefits or the, your current happiness. It shouldn't determine your future. It shouldn't. But we do that a lot. Sometimes it's even a very unconscious activity. You're dating someone and you see a glimpse, you know, just something that looks like what your ex did. They've not done it all. It just looks like it, you know? You picked his phone, you saw that, you asked him for password and he said, wait now, I can't give you. And your mind has gone back two years ago, three years ago. How that the day you finally opened the phone, you were seeing other girls that he has been sleeping with and reading messages and all that. And your mind, there's a way your mind just recalibrates and you start to look at this same person you're dating in the light of that. See, today is not the day to go into, oh, how do you know who to marry and all of that stuff. But you cannot let your past determine your future happiness. Absolutely not. So deal with it and let God deal with it. Submit everything to God. Lay it at the foot of the cross so that you can be free and lightweight to enjoy your current relationships and your marriage. The third point the third agreement, remember we're building foundation, okay? The third agreement is the agreement to do the required work. The agreement to do the required work in your relationship and in your marriage. Anybody who's here who feels like marriage is, is just easy, you are joking. I don't know what other word to use, but you're joking. Marriage is work, and marriage is hard work. And it's not to scare you. Marriage is beautiful. Marriage is, you ask the married people here, they will testify that marriage is beautiful. Marrying the person that you love is beautiful. But it's work. A lot of work. Sometimes what we do is we are in relationships and we see other people on social media, amen. Somebody has bought somebody a car and they have got to put it on social media there. You will not be tensioning the person you are dating. What, what about you? Didn't you see how this person bought a car? Didn't you see how this person proposed? You know, I got really worried because the trend of proposals that I began to see was all very scripted. And it was, I'm like, what are we, what are we, are we even joking? Like, do we, do we think marriage is this? A lot of the things that we see on social media, you don't know what goes on behind the closed doors. You have no idea. You will carry that thing you've seen on social media. You're going to be tensioning your, your guy. See how this person proposed. I want my proposal to be like this. I want it to be better than this. What, what, to what end? Proposal is just, hmm. oh dear. Let me share the story of a friend of mine who, <laughs> interestingly, she's a very, she's very, what's the word now? She's very, um, She's now a marriage advocate, praise God. But she had gone through different experiences. The Lord turned around her captivity and she became an evangelist on the matter. 
But she also wanted, you know, all of this, uh, I want to be proposed to, I want to, you know, the first guy that did the proposal, Plexi Serenian ring, everything, cheated on her with someone else. The way she even discovered was really very funny, you know. So my point is, if all you want is a fancy proposal, let them fly balloons, let jets, private jets, be displaying your name in the sky <laughs> on, on Marina Road, and everybody's seeing you there and asking, who is this girl, who is this girl? That's the one you want. I hope you are preparing for the marriage itself. Some of us were so fixated on just the wedding day. I want to wear a Vera Wang. I want to wear Louboutin. I want to wear this. I want to wear, and that is all we are, we are thinking about. That is all that is on our mind. That is all. And we are asking you in premarital counseling, are you guys praying together? What is the family vision you don't have, you don't know? You have not asked yourselves. Meanwhile, what, what, instead of talking, people are kissing. <laughs> you are not communicating. You are just kissing up and down. The conversations you should be having, pre-marriage, you have spent time kissing and having sex. We cannot off it, oh. This mic, it stays on. If it goes off, they give me a handheld. We can't off it. So take it if it's yours. Just receive it like that as you are, as you are hearing this from the, from the throne of heaven. So just receive it. You need to stop kissing and start talking. Start communicating. Stop sleeping together. Have conversations. Plan your future. Ask questions. What is our family vision? What are our family goals? How many kids are we having? How are we educating them? Do you know the person you're dating, what is his five-year goal? What is his 10-year goal? And this is not to put you under any undue pressure. Sometimes people genuinely don't know. But at least you can see potential. You can see that somebody is working their way towards being a, a, you know, a successful individual in life, contributing to society, adding value to others. But you are more concerned about how much does he make. You know, I was having a conversation. <laughs> it's going to beat me. Okay, it can't beat me. It's not my husband. It can't beat me. But I was having a conversation with my son, and he was saying, uh, if the girl doesn't have a car, he doesn't have a car. Some of them will not come and be doing Uber up and down. That no. So I hear, I hear that guys also now, for you people, is a prerequisite that at least if I don't have a car, you must have a car. So that two of us will not suffer together. For real? Really? My goodness. I am genuinely very worried. Pastors, we need to have an intervention class because, please, help me ask these men here. I mean, yes, they were, do, they were very well to do. as. A, so? No more double standards. Wow. Okay, then. God will help you. God is God. Will, this generation, God will help us all. But seriously, guys, I know I'm running out of time. You're going to have to give me a few more minutes. I'm concerned. You see, I'm concerned because I know that things have happened over the decades and the centuries, and we're supposedly becoming wiser. You know, I mean, I knew about women being very insistent, oh, he has to have a car you know, in space to pick me up and drop me off and all. And I thought, that's the height of vanity. But when men are now saying, he's not only, I do not come to Lagos to serve you. 
If me, I don't have a car, you must have a car. One of us needs to have a car. It's, it's a bit worrisome. <sighs> Marriage and any successful relationship requires work. The grass is usually not greener on the other side. In fact, if the grass is greener, yeah, it's because they put in the work. That is why it looks very appealing. So for successful marriages that you see, or your friends that are in successful relationships and you, you desire something like that, go and ask them. They are putting in the work, the required work. Sometimes we put in the wrong work, aka sex and kissing. That is not the work. And a girl feels like, I need to give my body to him so that I can lock him down. Or a guy feels like, I need to, you know, I, I need to, you know, and, and a question I, I hear quite often is, but if we don't do it, how do we know that, you know, he, how do I know he's going to sexually satisfy me when I marry? I hope there are no children in the house. If there are children, please take them to the pastor's office. How will he sexually satisfy me if we don't try it out now? That's a conversation for another day. But I'm saying to you that that work is the wrong type of work. The work you need to put in here is the work of commitment, is the work of consistency, is the work of vulnerability, is the work of tr establishing trust, is the work of unity and oneness, oneness of purpose, unity of spirits. It is not unity of bodies, especially if you're not married. Now, if you're married, that's a different ballgame entirely. I'm, and I'm going to reference, you know, the, the, the scripture in Genesis 3. Remember I said go and study the book of Genesis? Yes. When the serpent came to Adam, oh, sorry, to Eve, when the serpent came to Eve, where was Adam? Bible scholars. Faffing around. <laughs> he was with her. Hmm. So, hold up, hold up, hold up. I know that what we have done is to carry the literal translation of that scripture. Yeah? Go there, Genesis 3. Because scripture says, and that the woman gave it to the man with her. Yes. So that is why we believe that Adam was there. So, is Adam, and uh, Tolu asked that question, already the spoken word. Adam was lacking in courage, or it was just a mumu, standing there when the serpent was deceiving your wife, and you were just looking. Do you really think Adam that named all the animals, the same Adam that looked at woman and called her woman, you know, recognizing that God took her out of him, waxed lyrical when he saw her, would have stayed and allowed the serpent to do what he did. Think about it. Bible scholars, Demilade, where was Adam? Somewhere around. Out and about, thank you. Now, that, that phrase, he, the, uh, and the man gave it, uh, sorry, the woman gave it to the man that was with her. It's kind of like saying, and BWS shared donuts with her companions in the room. Or BWS shared donuts with her company. Do you understand? So, in my opinion, and this is my personal interpretation of that scripture, because it does not make any logical sense. I know that, yes, yeah, sometimes these things don't make sense, but this particular one, it doesn't make sense that a man that God had entrusted a woman to will be standing beside her and nodding his head when the serpent was saying all of those things to her and then collected the apple and ate. So he could, I believe personally, he could not have been beside her or with her as at the time that temptation was happening. But the question remains, where was he? Where was he? And this is for the married ones here or they're about to marry. 
you are one year in marriage and all, and you feel like, oh, yeah, it's still on the moon face. Where was Adam is the question we should ask ourselves. Now, remember also, God, Scripture says that, and God will come in the cool of the day, right, to fellowship with them, you know, to fellowship with man. We were not told that Adam was with God as at the time that was happening. So he wasn't in fellowship as at that time. I don't know if you're, if you're seeing it. He was not in fellowship with God. He wasn't in the presence of God. Otherwise, God would have alerted him, guy, your home is in danger. So he wasn't in fellowship. And we need to ask ourselves as married people are about to marry here, what are the things that distract us from putting in the required work of being in fellowship with God. Because see, for the man, we say the man is the priest, the prophet, and provider. That's what we say. In this day and age, both parties are providers. So let no one, because the woman is helper. So don't feel like it's only the man that must spend all his money, and your own money is meant for ashwebi and for gold and for investments. Absolutely not. We are to help one another. That is a conversation for another day. Back to where Adam was. So he wasn't with God. So where was he? Now, if we had to do a modern day, you know, replica of that, Adam with his briefcase was probably at a business meeting, you know, or working late. Or, you know, and, and it could have been genuine reasons. Back then, maybe he was going to attend the orchid tree or something, you know, he was busy. When it mattered most, he wasn't there. So he, there was a gap that was created that the serpent could take advantage of. And so in marriages, in our relationships, we need to be careful to make sure that there are no gaps. What if they had a fight? Like I said, remember, me, I, I, I visualize when I read my Bible. What if it was a fight in our own day and age? We, scripture didn't tell us they fought, obviously. But imagine, and we do that. I have disagreements with my husband. I'm sure married people here can attest to that. Because you will not always agree. But yes, sometimes you, you fight. But you cannot give the devil room because of a conflict. You've got to figure out how to resolve it. It's not worth it. It's you and your spouse against the world, against the devil. So what gaps are we creating in our relationships? What gaps are we permitting? What work have we occupied ourselves with? Some of us, we have been saving the world, and you have left your own buying unattended to. Look at what it says in Song of Solomon. Yeah, it says, uh, this is Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has turned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. This is the part you need to focus on. But my own vineyard I have not kept. You have left your vineyard unattended to, and you are minding other people's business. You are minding other people's relationships. Your spouse or your, your, your babe or your boo is suffering in the relationship there. You have not minded or attended to your own. So what are the things that are distracting you? What is the work, the wrong type of work? Or the, you know, so there's the, there's the right thing that can be done at the wrong time. I was listening to Pastor Godman this morning at uh, the Lekki Church. I took my kids to church, and he was saying, you know, sometimes some of us as married people, you spend five hours reading the Bible at night. Meanwhile, your spouse 
He's in bed waiting for you. You did not show up. Day one, day two, day three. I mean, there's no excuse for infidelity, obviously. But go back and read the scriptures about what the Bible says about your bodies. When you leave and you cleave, that cleaving is everything, no? naked and unashamed. All this, my money is my money, your money is our money, conversation. It's coming to a theater near you shortly. So we work on acquiring possessions, we work on certifications, we put in a lot of time building businesses, and we leave the one that is most important for those who are married, the one that God has blessed you with, your spouse. We don't make enough time for them. You know, I've had to, because in different phases in our lives, in my marriage, one person has been busier than the other. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's my husband. But one thing we try to do, and it's caused problems, because I'll be kidding you to stand up here and tell you, oh, it's nah, we've learned, we've recalibrated. That's what happens in marriage. You grow. That's the school that you get a certificate up front. But you keep learning. You speak to people who have been married 20, 30 years, they'll tell you, you keep learning. You keep learning. Because sometimes the strategies you've deployed, they've, you know, they, they, they're not working anymore. And you know, I think it confused my husband a bit because, um, so there's this whole concept around emotional deposits. So you make deposits into, into your spouse's emotional bank accounts. Uh, you buy them gifts, you do something, and they, you expect that that covers for three days. Meanwhile, you have utilized, you've drawn down on that deposit in one day with one thing you have done. And by the next day, the person has forgotten either the very expensive meal or the very expensive gift that you bought. And you are confused because your expectation is, I have credits in my bank account with you. But it doesn't work that way. So you keep learning. You keep watching the signs. You keep growing. And communication is so critical. Now, when I married, or when I got married, I am a talker. My husband, on the other hand, is not much of a talker. I mean, he's sanguine, he talks a lot. But when it comes to conflict resolution, I am very analytical. So like I can actually make notes. This was early days of marriage, by the way. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I've repented. But I will make notes. I will write out my points. You know, my husband said to me, and he said, this, this law that you did not go and study, looks like it's me you want to be practicing it on. <laughs> because I will argue my case. I want him to see that he was wrong. And you see the problem with that type of attitude is I would then refer to a previous incident that he expected we had moved on from. I will reference it, bring it back, you know, and it was really messy. But I had to learn that that is not, <laughs> please open your Bibles to Philippians 2. Let's, let's, we, this message is from the word. It's not me just giving you gist. Open your Bibles to Philippians 2. We, we looked at this scripture in the evening service last week. And I'll read from verse 3. Daniel, sorry, you're good? Okay. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Now, this was Paul to the church, you know, the Christian brethren at Philippi. But it's also a scripture that is very relevant for marriage, even though it's, it's speaking to general interpersonal relationships. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, and he goes on to explain what Jesus did, how he took on the form of a humble servant and all. You cannot... Your, your spouse is not your enemy. Hold it. Your spouse 
or your spouse to be is not your enemy. Even when they are misbehaving, they are not your enemy. There is a spirit at work. And we address the spirit, we don't address the individual. Let me explain that again. So your spouse has gotten frustrated because you guys, now I'm talking for those who are married now. And sometimes it happens. You get married and you realize that sexual intimacy is lacking or you guys have become distant, you know. And they start to behave in a certain way. You don't understand it. They are unwilling to talk about it as well. And it's almost as if you are not doing anything right anymore. Whatever it is you do or say is misconstrued, is misinterpreted, and no. The married people here, I'm sure they understand what I'm talking about. But even in your relationship, I mean, aside the sex part, obviously, but you understand those seasons where it looks like you and your, you, the person you're dating, you guys don't seem to be getting it. Everything you say is mis misinterpreted. Sometimes it is obviously something that is lacking. There's a conflict that needs to be resolved. There is a, there's a negative energy that needs to be addressed. There is an elephant in the room that both of you have been skirting around and you have refused to talk about. So communication does help. Sometimes it's just pray. Prayer helps you know what to do. Prayer helps you know the action to take. Hence why I said last week that it is actually possible for non-believers or those who don't know Jesus to have successful marriages because they can practice certain principles. However, this, this word and our relationship with the Holy Spirit is everything. And that's what stands us out. But you see that the number of divorce rates, even within the Christendom, is almost at par with the guys outside. We're not as patient anymore. All the First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, all of that it looks like it's gone out the window in this generation. So, put in the work. Put in the work and put in the right work. Working on your relationship means to give up a little pride and self-centeredness. It cannot be about you all the time. It shouldn't be about you. Look at that, first, uh, that Philippians 2 from verse 3 to 6 that we read. Take a cue from Jesus. Borrow a leaf from him. It wasn't about him. He looked to pleasing people. He looked to serving people. Let me use serving, not pleasing. He looked to serving people. He looked to meeting their needs. He looked to solving their problems. Now, some of us, because of these issues we've encountered in this black box that we have refused to deal with or address, we become very skeptical of putting in the work that is required of us. Even the things we know to do, we don't do them. We want people to earn our love. We want them to earn our trust. We want, you know, we want them to earn everything. Our love is very conditional. It's no longer sacrificial. The fourth agreement is that both partners need to change. Partners need to change. So you're getting into a marriage or a dating relationship, and you are who you are, set in your ways. But you need to make up your mind that there is room for growth here. There is room for me to become a better version of myself so that this relationship can work, so that this marriage can work. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. In marriage, oh dear, you will put away a lot of childish things. Like that, my 
analysis, paralysis, had to go. Because it was hurting my husband and me in the process. So guess what happened? Except you don't love the person. When he's hurt and the matter degenerates into, you know, we are shouting at ourselves and things like that. Who the, who the list or the analysis, who he helped? Definitely not me. Because I had thought that my analysis would resolve the issue. Get into that place and say, oh, my bad. I'm so sorry, babe. And then guess what? When we first got married, my husband didn't used to say sorry. And it was very infuriating. Because I grew up in a background where you, you do something wrong, you apologize, we make up, and we move on. But here it was. <sighs> okay, I've heard. What is that? Tell me you are sorry. But guess what? He's not that man. This was like six months into the marriage. We're almost 10 years now. He says so. Before I, once I started talking, like, babe, I'm so sorry. I realized that I should have called you, but I forgot. I got caught up in meetings. He's the one telling me, giving me this. We grew there. We did not start out like that. So sometimes we place a lot of, uh, we, we, have, we have expectations that are somewhat unrealistic because we forget that this is a totally whole human being that grew up how you know not. And this is you. You've grown up in a certain way. Both of you are coming together in a relationship. And we are projecting our expectations and projecting our own beliefs on them, expecting them to check those boxes automatically. Part of what communication does is that we can communicate these expectations and we can come to a place of agreement on the matter. So we need to change, we need to grow. Invest in consistent self-development and growth and be intentional to remove the speck in your eyes first. See, change is not I want to change my partner or I want to change my spouse. Only God can do that. That is not your responsibility. And someone needs to know that. You've been working hard at it and you have been failing. Do you know why? Because that is not your work. God's work is to change your spouse. God's work is to change your partner or to change the person you're dating. That is not your job. So when you go in with the mindset of, I will change him, I'll go and ask Osea. It doesn't work like that. God will do the change. Your responsibility is to pray for them. Your responsibility sometimes is to model it. That's behavior that you want. Oh, for someone who's married here, uh, you want your spouse to always lay the bed, and they don't like to lay the bed, model it, be doing it. Sometimes ask for help. Sometimes say, let's do it together, you know. But to say that you want to make it your priority to change them, it will not work. Wow. Pastor of Jesus. Okay, so the fifth one, and I'm going to the last one, as, um, is the box of compromise. The box of compromise. So it's the agreement to disagree. Because you are coming from different backgrounds, you have different understanding of the institution of marriage, obviously. Your approach to life, how you see life, how you do life is very different. If you are married to someone or you are in a relationship with someone and all they are concerned about is just saying yes to you, whatever it is you want is what they want. You go to the movie, oh, your first date. So what, what, what type of movies do you like? And they ask you, oh, no, what type of movies are you? I like? I like sci-fi. Oh, I like sci-fi too. What, what, what are you ordering? Oh, whatever it is you order, you should be worried. Don't feel like, oh, we're compatible. You know, she gets me. I get her at all. That person is just deceiving you. It's, it's a fluke. So 
this is important. We would like different things. In fact, football is an example. Some your spouse may not like football, but you will come to an agreement if you're a football lover. There, there, sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's political parties and political interests. Sometimes it is even, it's, it's even things around how you, 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 you do your vacation. What kind of vacation? Your, your spouse likes to shop. It was an issue for us. I, when I want to go on vacation, I just want to go and sleep. My husband likes to shop. So when we are determining countries to go to, it's always a factor in there. And I'm like, can we just go and just do nothing? Like, is that a problem? Well, because it's such a itchy bomb. He can't sit in, to sit in one place. Or, I mean, he's, the longest I recall that he's done that, like being in a hotel room with me, maybe three days. Like, not step out. Maybe three days. After the third day, nah, he had to go out. I can be in a room one week and not step out. Well, we had to come to a place of compromise, so I will follow, you know. When it's my own turn, we'll do my thing. This is very important. You will disagree. Anyone who says to you that, oh, your marriage isn't perfect or your relationship isn't perfect because you guys are having disagreements, that's, it's normal. The important thing is how do you resolve your issues? Who is shifting and how are you guys shifting to that place where both parties are fine with um, you know, the final decisions? Scripture in uh, that same Philippians 2, 3 that I read says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, okay? The last agreement is to give 100% of your time. Give 100% of your time. All the time. Sorry, give 100% all the time. Give 100% all the time. In our generation, what we believe is, I'll bring my 50, you bring your 50, and we have 100. No, that is still 50. That relationship is at 50. Bring your 100, I'll bring my 100. And when we come together, two becoming one. Two, uh, one will chase 1,000. Only then can two chase 10,000 successfully because I'm bringing my A game, you are bringing your A game to this relationship and to this marriage. You cannot bring your 50. I mean, imagine you are bringing 100 and your spouse or your, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend is bringing 50% or 40% or 30%. Someone is definitely going to be frustrated. So. Give your best. Give your best. Part of doing that is, when, when, when we say bring your 100% all the time, we're speaking about the ability to forgive quickly. The ability to love. Recognizing that I have chosen to love this person. And so whatever it is they do to me, I will forgive as Christ forgave me. See, in John chapter... I don't think I have time to read that scripture. But note it down. John 13, 34. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. And what is that commandment? It's to love one another just as I have loved you. Remember the initial commandment we're coming from is love your neighbor as yourself. So imagine that you are in this space here, this black box space where you have not packaged your black box just yet. And you are loving your spouse as yourself. What do you think will be that output? in terms of percentages now, if what you're doing is loving as yourself, and you're in that place where you're hurt, where you're emotionally traumatized and all. But Jesus says there's a higher calling. 
And that higher calling is to love as he has modeled love to us. So be it in marriage, be it in a dating relationship, I'm saying to myself, I choose to love my partner as Christ has loved me, as he has modeled the concept of love to me. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. So can we take the uh, agreements together from the first one? What is the first one? The agreement of what? Of God's word. The agreement to build our relationship or our marriage on God's word. What is the second agreement? To leave the past behind. What's the third agreement? To put in the required work. What is the fourth agreement? That we need to change. And when we say change now, we're becoming better versions of ourselves. And one of the things we've said very clearly is that we do not have the responsibility to change our spouse or to change our partners. That is God's work. That is his priority. We partner with him in getting that done by praying for our partners, by praying for our spouses, you know, sometimes having conversations, especially when it's things that hurt them or limit their growth and progress. We can have conversations with them about it. Okay, so what is the fifth agreement? Compromise. So we agree to disagree, or we disagree to agree. What is the sixth agreement? To give 100% of our time. To give us all, us 100% all the time. To give 100% all the time. Okay, so let us pray. Let us pray. All around the room and uh, those watching online, I want you to just take this prayer very quickly. So in Philippians, that's in Philippians 2, uh, from verse 5 there, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. I want you to pray. And it's a very simple prayer. Jesus, help me become more like you. Help me become more like you. Remember what I said. This isn't just um, a prayer. For, this, is, this, this teaching series isn't just for marriages. It's also for interpersonal relationships business relationships, career relationships. Some of us, are, we're struggling right now in our places of work because we feel that promotions due to us, you know, have been withheld because of conflicting relationships. And sometimes we need to just do a self-check, a self-assessment. Is there something that I need to do? Is there something that I need to change? Is there something that I need to fix? And if you're here, you're in a relationship that is problematic, is very, you know, fight today, fight tomorrow. There's a lot of disagreements. And you seem not to be making progress. Uh, and you're sure that that's where you are to be. Because sometimes it might be that you need to exit that relationship. But if you're sure that that's where you need to be, or you have gone through cycles of relationships and you keep getting the same feedback, I want you to just ask God, uh, Jesus, I want to be like you. Help me become more like you in my interpersonal relationships. Help me love like you. Help me serve like you. Help me see others the way you see them. And for those who are married or who are in uh, dating relationships about to marry, I want you to pray for yourself and your spouse. Lord, help me love my spouse like you. The way you love them, help me love them like that. The way you prioritize them, 
how special and precious they are to you. I want to begin to, you know, model that here on earth. I want to begin to model that here on earth. Help me prioritize my spouse. In this particular area where I've been getting complaints about, where I've been getting complaints about, I'm asking for grace and help. Whether it's that I've not been spending enough time as I should, you know, whether uh, we've not been as intimate as we should, you know, and for those in dating relationships, whether it's that you've not been communicating, you're struggling to have difficult conversations, you know, you're struggling to communicate. You want to talk to God this morning and say, Father, help me. Help me love like you. Help me serve like you. Help me have the same mind that you have when you relate with people. Help me be humble like you. For someone who needs to have pride, you know, taken out of their lives, now's a good time to pray. Say, Lord, this pride isn't helping. I keep getting the same feedback, you know, through my relationships with different people. So, Lord, work on my heart. Let my human spirit that has been regenerated by reason of um, fellowship with you, let it begin to produce fruit. The fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of self-control, of faithfulness in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray for anyone here who's you know, currently engaging um, in destructive conflicts, any marriage that is under the oppression of the enemy, any relationship, any destiny ordained, God ordained relationship, whether it be it, uh, a romantic relationship, whether it be it a business relationship, whether it be it a career or professional relationship, but is currently under an attack. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask Father that an end comes to all such attacks. We plead the blood of Jesus and we ask, Father, that you would save your children, that you would rise up and put an end to the oppressions of the enemy over their lives and over their vital relationships in the name of Jesus. I want to give somebody an opportunity here this morning. If you don't know Jesus, that is the first step. Remember we said to build a successful relationship, you need to start with the word. But if you're here, you used to have a relationship, you don't have it anymore or you don't even have that relationship with him. I ask that all eyes close, all heads bowed. Can you just raise your hand? And the reason we're asking you to raise your hand is so that we can support you on this journey. I'd like to pray with you. You want to talk to God about just being in that relationship with him first because he's the one that matters most. It's not the boyfriend, it's not the girlfriend, it's not the man you're going to marry, it's not even the woman you're going to marry. There is no other love that can satisfy. In fact, for someone here, you have tried to fill that void, that empty void in your life with sleeping with different people, dating different people, and still you feel very empty. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. May I ask that you just raise your hand. Raise your hand so I can pray with you, so we can support you on this journey. Uh, if you need to speak with a counselor afterwards, we'll be right available to, to interact with you. The pastor seated on this side, or you can just even come to me. But I'll ask that you raise your hand so we can pray with you and support you on this journey. Uh, the ushers will put a card in your hand if that is you. If that is you, please raise your hand. And if you're online, you want to say that prayer as well, May I ask that you just indicate in the chat box that you would like to give your heart to Jesus. Dear Father, we thank you. Say this prayer after me. 
I surrender my heart to you today. I thank you because I know that you died for me. And you rose so that I could be whole, so that I can live a life of newness. Today I welcome you into my heart and I ask that you make your home with me. Change me. Satisfy me. Fill me with your spirit. Take away every hurt and pain. Take away every despair and weariness. I receive your love today. I receive your forgiveness. And with my mouth, I confess that I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for these ones that have said this prayer. We give you praise because you will journey with them. Heaven rejoices and we are glad that they have come home. They have rededicated their hearts to you. So Lord, we thank you that you would help them in this journey of life. You will strengthen them and you will grant them the grace they need to be the ones that you have created them to be. And I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice in the room and online. I pray for every relationship here, every dating relationship leading to marriage. I pray for every marriage. And I decree and declare that it is shielded and preserved from the wiles of the enemy in the name of Jesus. I decree and declare that there will be no gaps that the enemy can come in through in the name of Jesus. I decree and declare that these ones are stronger in love. These ones are bound together with cords of love that cannot be broken. A hedge has been built round about every home, every family, every dating relationship leading to marriage. Preserved and shielded from the oppressions of the enemy. No strange man, no strange woman, no emotional entanglements are permitted in the name of Jesus. And I pray for everyone who's desirous of getting married this year. Lord, in agreement of faith, we ask, let your will be done for these ones. Let the desires of their hearts be granted. In the name of Jesus, your word says that you set the solitary in families. Everyone here who's, who, who feels lonely and, uh, and is desirous of getting married, not a, a bad type of loneliness, but who's been looking to you, looking to you for their mates. We thank you because bone will find bone in this season, in the name of Jesus. Flesh will find flesh in the name of Jesus. And there will be a recognition and a coming together in this season in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for everyone who's hurting and feels that they are not ready for a relationship. Everyone who's dealing with the issues of the past. Lord, we present them before you today. And we pray for complete healing and recovery in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work in the hearts of everyone who's hurting. Comfort and heal and strengthen in their emotions and in their minds and in their spirits in the name of Jesus. We give you all praise, our Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all.
Thank you for being in church today. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.